All right, we are in the Galatians series. We've been taking this book step by step. We have not been rushing it. Last Sunday, Pastor Brenda talked to us about being justified by faith, being made right with Christ by faith, individually in our right relationship with God, but also communally, that believers are really the true children of Abraham. They are a member of God's family, marked by the Holy Spirit. Paul has been challenging the Galatian believers. There's this fight between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And the Jewish believers think that the Gentile believers have to fulfill the Mosaic law like they did. They need to be circumcised. They, they need to be following the same food laws, worshiping on Sabbath that they did. They thought these are the marks of being truly accepted. And Paul is saying that is not the case. We've been bringing up this topic each week and trying to think of creative ways to, to have this make sense to us. And I was thinking about when I joined the swim team in high school. Now, I was more of an American football player. Um, I hadn't been on the swim team growing up, and most of the swimmers had been kind of swimming competitively their whole life. But I enjoyed cycling and triathlon, so I thought I should go join the swim team. And when you're practicing in the swim team, you can kind of wear whatever swimsuit you want to. Um, but when it comes time to the competition, they unveiled the suits that we had to wear. Any guesses to the type of suit that I had to wear? Yeah, a Speedo, right? I had never worn a Speedo, and these were not like large Speedos. They were about as tiny of a Speedo as you could get. And... That was the thing. To be on the swim team, you had to wear the Speedo. And that's a little bit what the Jewish believers are saying to the Gentiles. You have got to do this our way. We did these things. If you want to be on the team, you got to look like us. And that works for a team, right? But that does not work for the body of Christ. We don't all have to look the same. We all don't have to, to live the same. Why? It's because of who Jesus is. He is what brings us together. It's the body of Christ. He is our unifying factor, and that's why he is at the center of what we do. So Paul, each chapter is hitting at this idea in a new way. So last chapter, we, we saw that we aren't saved by our goodness. We're not saved by mar our moral efforts. Rather, we're saved by the work of Christ. And Paul is saying, not only are we not, not only are we saved by the gospel, but we actually grow by the gospel. Our efforts didn't save us, and our efforts won't grow us. So let's unpack the first half of Galatians 3 today. Paul challenges them with five questions here. He is not um, mincing words. He is very direct about the challenge. He says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You have experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain. So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law 
or by your believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That's a lot. That promise that we sang about, we we sang about in our very first song about your grace is enough, that promise comes all the way back to what Paul is referencing here, and we'll unpack that in a little bit. So let's dig into these verses, this first six verses. Paul asked them five questions, and he asked them, were you a part of this Messiah family, a part of Abraham's people by Jesus' death and resurrection, or by circumcision, by these works of the flesh. See, Paul gives two reasons why they should not try to do it that way. First, he says, God has given you the Spirit because of what you have believed. You are true children of Abraham because of your belief in Jesus. God is working in you because of your belief and faith, not because of your works of law. He says, you've started with the Spirit, finish with the Spirit. Don't start with the Spirit and then transition to trying to work your growth yourself. See, to believe is not just to believe in Jesus for your salvation. To believe in him is to believe in him for your transformation as well. It's to trust in him for your transformation, not to trust in yourself, not to think if I just do enough works that somehow I will transform myself. The Jewish believers did not become Christians by following the law, and they don't grow in their faith by following the law either. Being a Christian starts and continues as faith, faith in Christ and his work. It's that way for them, and it's that way for us today. So Genesis 15, Paul is referencing that here with Abraham. He made a covenant with him. And Paul says that Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, Abraham was before Moses, 430 years before. We're going to unpack more of that next week. 
these Jewish Christians are saying, but we follow the Mosaic law. This is what makes us righteous. And Paul's like, you know what? Abraham was 430 years before the law, and he was credited as righteous, not because of following the law, because it didn't even exist yet, but because of his belief in God. The law came later. He goes on to unpack this this blessing um, that he is referencing here at the end of those verses. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That was the plan. We'll talk about how that was derailed in a moment. He goes on to say, if you have faith, you are already children of Abraham, that all nations will be blessed through you. That was the plan. That was the original plan. So those rely on faith are blessed. And of course, we know that there was a roadblock there. Israel derailed. They were exiled. And so that plan was blocked. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, Paul is quite clear. The physical family of Abraham, the Jewish people, had overturned like a huge truck in the road and were now blocking the original intention. God's promise still held good, God still intended to bless the whole world through Abraham's family. But Israel, the promised bearers, were not only themselves failing, but getting in the way of the wider fulfillment. Blessing was the original purpose of the covenant, and and curse is its opposite. The curse is something that happened in history. It happened to Israel. They fell away from God. They were sent into exile. They had to leave the promised land. That was not only a problem for themselves, but it was a problem for the rest of the world who was supposed to be blessed through them. Paul shows us that Jesus provides the solution to that roadblock. Jesus provides the solution to those two problems. One, he took Israel's curse upon himself. The roadblock has been taken away because of what Jesus did. Now that blessing can flow through Jesus, beginning with Abraham to everyone in the world. But also he removed the roadblock for Israel. Israel is given the opportunity to believe and trust in Jesus as well and have the spirit poured out upon them as it was to Paul, a Jewish believer. And he says in verse 14, so by faith, we might receive the promise of the spirit. So the spirit was for Israel. The gospel was for Israel as well. Jesus was the solution for them. And he is our solution today, not the law. Now, it doesn't mean that the law was bad, but following the law, believing in the law is not what saved Abraham. It's not what saved Moses. It's not what saved the Jewish believers, and it's not what saves us. It was their faith, their belief in God. Now, I was thinking about the law and the ways that the law can be helpful. Early in our marriage, and I forgot to ask Erica permission to share this story, so my apologies. Um, Asking for forgiveness than permission sometimes is easier to do. Um, But early in our marriage, we got Ephesians 4.26 given to us. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so we held on to that. And so we would get into fights, and we're like, we've got to hammer this out. We've got to work this out. It didn't matter if it was midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. We're trying to hammer it out. We, we're not having productive conversations anymore. 
We were holding on to this rule, right, to this law, to this advice, thinking if we can just do this rule, then things will be okay. And we're like, this actually isn't helping. So we had to reread it. We were very literal in our understanding, right? So it says, when the sun, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So we thought, well, this fight actually started after the sun went down. So we've got a full, like, 24 hours, right? And, you know, slowly we were releasing. Maybe God is trying to give us a principle. Don't let your anger linger, right? Deal with it right away, but maybe not be so legalistic about when it's resolved. And so the law can be helpful, but it can also be a yoke that God never intended for us to carry. The law was not the point. God's blessing and redemption were the point. Having the sun go down was not the point. The idea was to to deal with the anger. Don't let it linger. Don't let it separate you. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, his translation of Galatians 3, rule-keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule-keeping. You know, as if those of you that have children, they probably, the younger they are, the more rules that they have, and then slowly you release those rules and begin to trust in them more. Sometimes as believers, we can stay in this rule-following way our whole life, and we're not given the freedom to actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we're more trusting in the rules and the law than we are in Jesus himself. And this is the challenge that Paul is dealing with between the Jewish followers and the Gentile followers. It did not release them to know freedom in God. See, the gospel introduces us to this life in God, this life-giving spirit. He pours out his love upon us. He's generous with his forgiveness. He gives us his grace. We embark in this faith journey and we become free. But then what is the next step? Try, trying to avoid messing up so we lose God's good pleasure? Do we walk in anxiety and fear? Do we try to manipulate God for our own ends? No, we still walk in his love, in his forgiveness, and in his grace. We start by the Spirit and we end by the Spirit. Tim Keller in his thoughts on this passage says this, attempting to be saved by works will lead to profound anxiety and insecurity because you can never be sure that you are living up to your standards sufficiently. When I first came to Christ, it was presented as all Jesus. He did the forgiving. I could not do the forgiving. He did the saving. I could not. And that made sense to me. But then after I became a Christian, then it all depended on me. If I messed up, it was my fault, right? If I wasn't feeling close to God, it, it was my fault. And I had to perform perfectly to stay somehow in this relationship and to keep God loving me and blessing me was all on my shoulders. I needed Galatians. I needed a proper understanding of Galatians. God doesn't just save us. He grows us. The gospel isn't just God saving us. It's the God growing us as well. So do we want to grow through the gospel or through rules? 
Do we want to have this top-down approach to our transformation or bottom-up? Top-down being sort of these external um, rules, these outside things somehow shaping us to go the right direction, to bring change? Or do we try to go from the bottom up? We look at the roots of what is happening inside of us and to have God minister there. See, God, Jesus was always challenging that external approach of looking good on the outside but not experiencing transformation on the inside. He was always challenging the Pharisees. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount starting in Matthew 5 is, is all about this. You have heard it was said, don't murder. And they're like, yep, we have not murdered. But Jesus takes it further and says, look at the heart. When you cultivate anger, a vengeful type of anger in your heart, you are just as guilty. Jesus wants to go internally to deal with what's inside of us. Following Jesus is not about rule keeping. It's about participating in a new life because of what? Verse 1 says, because of Jesus being crucified. That's what makes this possible He took all of that curse upon himself so that we wouldn't have it. And what is Jesus' instruction to us? How does he summarize the law? Love God, love others. That should be our filter for understanding how to walk with Jesus. The rules don't save us. Jesus does. The rules don't grow us. Jesus does. John Coe, who is a professor of theology and psychology, I got to hear him present uh, years ago. Um, And he has a whole teaching on this. Um, But he says it this way, the Christian life and spiritual formation are about denouncing the moralistic life as a way to find happiness and please God. Denouncing this rule-following way. If I just follow the rules rightly, God will be happy with me. And of course, we see Jesus confronting this in the Pharisees all the time. And if we pray, if we worship, if we read God's word with the idea of hoping God is pleased with us, we'll have gotten it all upside down. God wants relationship with us, but not in a way that we're trying to earn that love or earn that growth. Church, can we have the freedom to believe that Jesus says what he means, that the gospel is about what he does for us and is doing in us? Do we have the freedom to believe that? Or do we carry a yoke that God never meant for us to carry? Can we get to the point where we say, I don't want to fix myself. I cannot fix myself. I do not have the power to do it. Can I give up that project as a way of pleasing God? and participate with God instead on his transformation of me. See, Paul knew we would be tempted by this. This is why Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit, or are you trying to finish by means of the flesh? The spirit has to be in all of it. We do participate in our growth. Let's say you're trying to deal with anger. Maybe you've got um, angry personality and, and you want to be, you don't want to be so angry. A top-down or a rule-following way to do that, 
might be trying to remove everything in your life that uh, makes you angry, and then you realize, well, that's not going to be possible, <laughs> right? Um, but we can do this in, in seemingly spiritual ways. We can say, God, remove my anger from me. Just sort of magically zap it. God, help me to forgive. And as we read scripture and we see that God wants to grow fruit of the spirit, it's a process of transformation. It's a process of growth. It's the way God does it. God could do that, but God tends to seem to transform us from the inside out. Instead of just praying, God, remove my anger, or God, give me enough willpower to hold on to not be really angry in this moment, what might we do differently? How might we apply the gospel? God, what is happening internally for me? What's beneath this anger? Maybe something like comfort is something that is my primary goal in life, and this person is getting in the way of my comfort, so I am angry at them. It becomes an issue of priority and idolatry. Maybe I desire everybody's praise and accolades, and this person is not giving it to me, and so I am angry at them. Does this make sense? A different way to get at the anger going deeply internal to have God transform what is happening inside of there. Sometimes we need help doing that, meeting with pastors, sharing with life group leaders, going to a counselor, a psychologist to get at what is underneath so you can begin to transform what is at the root of it versus trying to fix it myself. Now, the... Jewish believers had a checklist of how you had to be a good believer in Galatia. And they think about their identity more in a group sense. And, and maybe we come at it more individually. You know, so for you, what would be your checklist for being right with God? What are those things internally for you? Are those things that you think for a church, you know, we have to do? And if I don't do them, then somehow I am not right with God. Some of those things might be very good things. Gathering at church, praying, serving are all helpful, but they're not sufficient for saving us or growing us. There are ways that we open ourselves up for God to work. See, we're tempted to try to work it out on our own by trying to be good. John Coe um, kind of puts out this list of, of ways that we are tempted um, to do this. Whenever you're convicted by sin and your first response is, I will do better by trying harder and fixing myself. Or I will cover up these feelings of guilt or shame by doing good. If that's your first response after messing up, they're trying to fix yourself. Okay, this Sunday, I'm definitely going to church after what I did on Saturday night, right? <laughs> or I just got in a fight with my wife, and, you know, we let the sun go down on our anger, and, it, you know, it didn't work, so I'm reading the Bible tomorrow. You know, we try to cover these things up as a way of not actually experiencing the guilt that is there, and we don't deal with that at its root. We just, it's still all there. We're just trying to cover it up so we don't have to deal with it. 
That's not the free life. Jesus wants us to go down to the core and to deal with it there. Because if we're successful at this, of thinking we've fixed ourselves, but maybe we're just avoiding what's really there, then we'll want others to do it the same way that we did. And we'll probably judge them when they don't. Top down or bottom up. If you turn inward... Try to fix yourself. How do we come to Christ? How did you come to Christ originally? Confessing? Receiving his forgiveness? Christ saved us, but somehow we might think, now the rest is all my work. Verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse. He redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse. The story of the prodigal son illustrates this point beautifully. Um, Many of you probably know the prodigal son, the the story where the younger son um, comes to the father and says, I want my half of the inheritance now, which in that culture, and, and maybe even here in this culture, would be like saying, I want you to have died so I can take what is mine. I don't want to wait till you actually die. Give it to me now. And the father is generous and gives it to the son. The son takes the money and goes and spends it on himself, lives how he wants. There was a famine in the land. He, he lost everything. Uh, not only the choices that he was making, but the surroundings are not helping him to flourish. And he has nothing left. He, he's working feeding pigs, which would have been sort of the lowest thing that a Jewish person could have done. And he realizes, you know what? My servants, the servants, my dad's servants, have more than I have. Let me go back. I could be a servant, right? That's what I could do. I could fix this situation myself. I have a means to do that of fixing it. But what does the father do? Scripture says, while he was a long way off, he saw him. Now, there's not too many places in Hong Kong we can look a far way off, right? There's a building blocking the view or things like that. But I was thinking, you know, when I'm waiting at the bus stop and I'm impatient and I don't wait for it to just to pull up, I'm like looking, like, when is it coming? You know, looking around and, okay, I'll I'll look at another mess. And then I look again. You've got to look a lot of times to see a bus coming from a long way off. Well, the same would have been true here. How often must the father been looking for his son to notice that he was a long way off? And why did it matter that he would see him before he was closer to him? See, his village life would have been very difficult um, for this son. The whole village would have known what this son had done. Very shameful what the son done. And now he's coming back. He's tattered. He's in a broken state. He's wasted all the money. What would it have been like for him to get into that village? Shame. Curse. Heckling. Serves you right. Look what you did to your family. You deserve all of this. Hurling insults, shame, curses at him. What does the father do? The father runs. The father runs. It was not a dignified thing for 
the father to do, to run, and certainly not dignified for him to embrace him. And why does he do that? So the son was spared the shame, the curses. See, the son wanted to fix his situation and make it better, but the father wanted so much more. He welcomes him. He forgives him. He loves him. And he restores him. The son was transformed. That's what God wants to do for us. See, so often we might think of our growth this way. I'm sinned, and so I'll be punished, and so I'll repent, and then I'll be transformed. Sometimes we, you know, this might be how I parent, actually, especially when the kids were little. You messed up, here's your punishment, say you're sorry, and now let the transformation begin, right? And if we think about it that way with God, then we are missing the point. We're probably trying to, this is my fix-it plan that first step. This is the steps I have to go through. The reality is in our sin, we receive God's unconditional love. We see that with the father running to the son. And what does that love do for us? That is the context of our transformation and our repentance. Knowing we have this incredible unconditional love from God. It not only saves us, it grows us and transforms us. This is his plan. This is why Paul is arguing the whole letter to this church about getting the gospel right. See, an awareness of sin and failure is a door to a heartfelt conversation with a loving father, to his grace, and a reminder that we can't fix ourselves, that he wants to do it from the inside out. free to believe, free to believe that Jesus not only saves us through his grace, but he grows us through his grace. This is the gospel church. 